If you were here last week, you would have heard some discussion, some revelations about high marks that uh, my associate pastor and I had, along with our other elders, in a leadership course that we took through Maritime Christian College. But I want you to know that the high marks didn't start then. The smarts didn't begin then. I went back into my archives, and here are my uh, grade 1, 2, and 3 uh, report cards, 1965, 66. Some of you never even imagined those years existed. And the teacher was Miss Shirley Weeks, who's my father's first cousin, so maybe I had a little bit of help there. But I started off struggling in arithmetic, which is math today, only 65 the first semester, but I, I brought that up to 96 later on. Average on the year, 97. Comments like, Gregory is doing very well, a very fine little student. I was pretty small back then. And then grade two, the teacher is still a part of my church, not a relative though. And uh, all marks are climbing. My average was get up to 96, then 90. 5.3 was my average at the end of the year. And then it says pupil standing, first overall. Class average, 95.3. I was the only one in my grade, so I was always <laughs> top of the class. But look at the comments. Gregory is an excellent student, a very good worker, progressing very well. More of the same in grade three. And the comments, excellent work, Gregory, fine worker. And Mrs. Harold Nicholson kept signing these over and over again. And once again, I was still number one in the class. Class average, my average. But then, grade four, things changed a little bit. The marks started coming down a bit. And then the comments were things like, doesn't seem to, Gregory doesn't seem to be paying enough attention. Uh, Gregory must apply himself more. So then there were consequences at home because of that, and I ended up with more burn work to do. They thought, maybe we'll work this out of him, and there's something going on here. And then finally, in, in grade five, uh, well, back then, teachers mo wrote most of the stuff on the chalkboard, and not a whiteboard or not everybody with individual computers like we have now. So they just thought I wasn't so smart anymore. That's what they thought. So finally, one of the comments came home in grade five. I think Gregory needs glasses. So off we go to the eye doctor, and he puts the chart up there, and I can't read any of the letters on that chart. And then he puts these great big lenses in front of me. Now today, we have cute little lenses that they put in front of you. Back then, they were huge. And the doctor gets in close and then starts with the questions. And I hate those questions. I still get them every two years from the woman who is my doctor here. She says, one or two? One or two, which is clear? Or are they about the same? And then two or three? Two or three, which is clear? Are they about the same? It's the toughest quiz that I have to go through. You're squinting. Everything looks the same. And I said to her, what if somebody messes up? Oh, she said, we know anyway. And then I said, well, why do you ask us the questions? Why don't you just go click, 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 click? So anyway, my doctor back in 1970, he finished 
with the examination, and then he put some lenses in front of me, and I could see clearly. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call, and my mom and I went in, and we got my Clark Kent glasses, and I walked out of that doctor's office, and everything looked so much brighter. The grass was greener, the sky was bluer, and I could read the chalkboard. And my marks started coming back up. So by the end of grade five, Gregory has done really well. He has really improved. So it looked like it was my effort. It looked like my desire was down a little bit. It looked like maybe it was my intellect, but the issue was I needed a change of focus. In this half of the book of Ephesians that we've been looking at over the summer, we've been challenged in some areas to make some changes in our lives. And we've looked at how we need to change our mindset, how we need to change our speech habits. And last week, James actually talked about the fact that we need to change our standards. And most of us would say, well, I, I want to make those changes. And we go home from church on Sunday afternoon, and, and we're right on it. And, and even Monday morning, we're still fine. But then maybe on Tuesday, we, we start to drift just a, a, a little bit. So what is it that maybe the problem isn't effort or desire? Maybe we need a change of focus. Maybe that is the answer. So here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us a, a vision test, basically, and what we may need to do is just see life through a different lens. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. So be very careful how you live. Do not live like those who are not wise, but live wisely. Use every chance you have for doing good, because these are evil times. So Paul says to be careful. Now, when you tell someone to be careful, that's because they're getting into a situation where they might get themselves in a little bit of trouble. Or maybe they're facing something important, and we say, be careful. So Paul is telling us that it's also true spiritually, and there are some moments in our lives when he is saying to us, be careful. Now, that phrase is actually one that you hear a lot when you have small children in the house because you're constantly saying, don't climb up on that counter. Uh, don't drop your dishes on the way to the dishwasher. Or you're out in a restaurant. Now be careful, don't spill that glass of water on the table. And over and over again, we hear those things said to those children. So we say, be careful. Focus on what you're doing. You want them to be aware of the situation that they're in. So Paul says, be careful. And God says to us as his children, be careful. Be careful when you're with your date and the two of you are alone and no one else is around. Be careful. When your spouse puts you on the defensive and you just want to explode, be careful. When you're doing your taxes and you're temp actually tempted to cut a few ethical corners, be careful. And when you're tempted to tell that joke that's off-color, be careful. Paul says, use every chance you have for doing good. And in the New International Translation, he says, make the most of every opportunity. And that phrase, make the most, is an interesting one because it's one we tend to miss. And you know why? It's because we hear all these other sayings and they kind of get in the way. We hear, seize the day. You only go around once. The early bird gets the worm. 
Make hay while the sun shines. Grab the bull by the horns. Opportunity doesn't knock twice. Go for broke. And if you've ever heard a motivational speaker at a convention, they will say things like, make the most of every opportunity. So it's a challenge to communicate what Paul is saying here because he wants to create this in the church in Ephesus and he wants to create this in us as well. And it's this sense of urgency as we live our lives. But we've heard the message so much. We've heard, make the most. And it's a phrase that's used in the marketplace when you're buying or selling things. The King James translation actually calls it redeem or buy. So it's redeeming the time. That's what that phrase means. Just imagine that you're driving through your neighborhood on a Saturday morning and you see that one of your neighbors is having a yard sale. And you're not much for yard sales, but the sign caught the corner of your eye. Everything for a dollar. And you remember that you have a loony in your pocket. You don't have any other money. So you stop by, you go in, and the first thing you see is candy. And even though that candy is about the same price as a store, you're hungry and you like candy, so you grab some and you're about to go pay for it, and then you realize, well, maybe, maybe there, there's something else here that uh, I might be able to buy that's better use of this dollar. I better be careful how I spend it. So you put the candy back, and then you go to the clothing department. And the clothes are a little dated, but there are brand names on them, and you think, well, that's pretty good. So you pick up a few things, and you head back toward the checkout. And then you start thinking, you know, I've got to be careful with this dollar. I've got to be careful that I'm not missing something. So you continue to look at different things, and you go over to the jewelry department. And there's this costume jewelry, and you start going through it. And then all of a sudden, something really glints at you. And you look a little further, and it's this huge diamond. And you go over to the person, and you say, is this really only a dollar? Yep, that's what the sign says, everything for a dollar. So you buy that. You take it to a, a jewelry store and have it appraised, and they tell you it's worth over $10,000. And you think, you bought a $10,000 ring for $1. You could have been eating candy, or you could have been wearing clothes from the 1990s, but you were careful, you only had one dollar, and you made the most of it. That's what this phrase is getting at. And all of us are going shopping every day of our lives, and Paul says, you be careful. Make the most of everything so that we may be wise. In uh, Psalm 90, the apostle, the uh, King David said, teach us how to live, excuse me, teach us how short our lives really are so that we may be wise. So he's asking God to keep him focused on the fact that his time on earth was limited. So every moment, every conversation, every chance encounter, every day at work, these are important opportunities. And we have these good intentions and we have these promises of what tomorrow will be like. But before we know it, our time has come and gone. So we want to make the most of our lives. We want to live high-impact lives. We want to be different maker, difference makers. So what keeps us from focusing on what matters most? 
What keeps us from seizing those diamond opportunities? And there are a few things that come to mind. And one of them is an unclear direction. We wind up focusing on the wrong things. We pay attention to the secondary stuff. And that word careful is also translated concentrate. So sometimes we concentrate on the wrong things. You may actually be familiar with this book, but it was written by a psychologist named Richard Wiseman. And it's called, Did You Spot the Gorilla? And in this book, it describes an experience where 100 volunteers are asked to watch a 30-second videotape of two teams playing basketball. And then they're asked to count how many passes are made during that 30 seconds. And then halfway through that 30 seconds, a man in a gorilla suit comes running out to center court, beats on his chest, and then runs back off the court. And only a few of those 100 people saw the gorilla. They were concentrating so hard on counting the passes. They were focusing so much on those immediate tasks that they missed the gorilla. And we might do that as well. We're concentrating so much on our immediate tasks that we miss the gorilla. Do you think that happens for you? You're so focused on work. You're so focused on that promotion. You're so focused on getting the right recognition that you go home and you're just vaguely aware of the fact that there are these little people running around in your house. You have paperwork that needs to be done. You have contracts that need to be signed, clients that need to be taken care of. And you tell yourself, well, I'm doing this for my family. Maybe there's a diamond that you're missing. You're so focused on your job when you're at work that it just never occurs to you to ask this question. I wonder what the person in that space next to me, I wonder where they will be spending eternity. Or you're so focused that you're out doing lawn work and one of your neighbors comes by and you just say hi. You don't engage him in a conversation. You could engage him in a conversation, be invited into their house, invite him to come to church with you some Sunday, but we let those opportunities go by. Making the most of every opportunity. I think we want to do that but sometimes we just get focused on things. So if, verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And the Living Bible says it this way, but try to understand what God wants you to do. So a focused life doesn't mean that you do what you want to do. It doesn't mean that you do what the guidance counselor wants you to do. It doesn't necessarily mean that you do what your parents want you to do or even what you feel like doing. You do what God wants you to do. That's how you make the most of our time. See, when we do that, we get our focus through the will of God. In Psalm 19, the teachings of the Lord are perfect. They give new strength. The rules of the Lord can be trusted. They make plain people wise. The orders of the Lord are right. They make people happy. The commands of the Lord are pure. They light up the way. And there's more. God's word becomes basically the lens in which we look through in order to see what life is really like. And things come into focus when we do that. And maybe for the first time, actually. 
Something else that keeps us from seizing those diamond opportunities is unsustained power. We start off strong, we're powerful, we have the passion and the enthusiasm like we initially did. People do this every New Year's. There are some habits that they want to break or some new ones that they want to develop. And they start off strong. We're, we're going to do it this year. We're determined to make the most of every opportunity. We're trying, but the problem is it doesn't last no matter how hard you've tried. Soon we go back to living life the same old way. Now, I met Mike Bro at a, at a big convention down in the U.S. He's pastor of a mega church of 10,000 people. And we ended up sitting at the head table together. And there's a whole old story there that I won't share with you right now. But here is something that he said about this very topic. He said, it's so easy to drift into a life devoid of passion, adventure, and risk, where it becomes predictable and boring, and we just do the same thing day after day. You know the routine. You get up at the same old time, and you get out of that same old bed. You look at yourself in the same old mirror, and you get in that same old shower. You dry off with that same old towel. Then you put on those same old clothes, and you walk down to the same old kitchen for that same old breakfast. You kiss your same old wife goodbye. I got a bit of a roar out of that one. My wife was at the first service. Then you get in that same old car, and you drive that same old route to that same old job. You listen to that same old boss tell those same old stories. And then you get back in your car, and you drive back home to that same old house, and you sit down for that same old dinner, and you get in that same old recliner, and you watch that same old TV show. Eventually, you get out of the recliner, and you go up to the bedroom, and you get in that same old bed, and you ask that same old wife that same old question, and she gives you the same old answer. Then you just roll over and go to sleep. Set the alarm clock, and you'll do it all over again tomorrow. Are you seizing the opportunities, or have you settled for a life of complacency? Because we live in a world that is plagued by complacency. It happens to us. We don't think it will, but it does. And we just get to this point where we don't care. And the early church fathers, they understood this because one of those seven deadly sins they listed is the sin of sloth, S-L-O-T-H. And I don't know if that's the best translation because when you go to the word that it comes from, the word is acedia. And a better translation would actually be, I don't care. And maybe you've reached that point in your life where you just don't care. And that's the opposite, the total opposite of being careful. So Paul wants to help us out with this. So look at verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit is what gives us a focused life. And that phrase, be filled, is an interesting phrase because it's in the present passive imperative tense. And here's why that's important. It's in the imperative form, which means that it isn't an option. So if you're going to make this change in your life, it's not going to happen because you want to make this change or because you try hard enough. You're only going to make the most of every opportunity by being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. 
then it's also in the present tense. That means that this isn't a one-time thing that you do when you accept Christ and repent of the sin in your life and be baptized into him. But this is something that is a daily practice of continually being filled with the Spirit. And then I said that it's also in the passive tense, which means that it's not something you do, but it's something that God does for you. So these disciplines of reading God's word that we talk about, or praying, or we talk about uh, fasting, we talk about being in worship, all of those things actually put us in the position to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul says, that's how you're going to live this kind of life. If you're just trying hard, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to do it. You're going to be frustrated. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So it's interesting that he compares being filled with the Spirit to being filled with alcohol. And that's an unusual comparison at first glance because the Bible makes it very clear that getting drunk is a sin and it's going to be very difficult for somebody to take advantage or make the most of every opportunity if you can't even walk a straight line. And here are some reasons people give for drinking alcohol. People say it gives them confidence when they drink or it reduces anxiety and stress. One guy said it helps me cope with life or it gives me a sense of relief and a sense of numbing. However, think about what the Holy Spirit has said that he'll do for us. He gives us a confidence that comes from God. He gives us a peace that just passes all other understanding. He comforts us and he does more than give us a sense of numbing. He provides hope for the future. So I wonder if it's one of the most insulting things we could do to the Holy Spirit living inside of us when we say, the very thing that you've said that you can do for us, I'm just going to go over here and find a cheaper imitation of that. So that word dissipation, you're probably wondering, what does that mean? It's a word we rarely see, but if you check your thesaurus, the word that comes up most is the word waste. So it's the opposite of making a difference and seizing every opportunity. It is actually wasting that opportunity. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, right before he ascended to heaven, says to his followers, But when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you will receive power. So that word power is where we go to the word dynamos. That's where we get it from. And the word dynamite comes from that as well. So if you're tired, and if it seems as if you don't have energy and to make the most of every opportunity, then allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit. And then you will have that power. You will have that dynamite within you that will make tremendous changes in your life. The one other thing that keeps us from seizing these diamond opportunities is a negative attitude. It's easy to look at life sometimes and just say, oh, what's the point? I'm just one person. Or to look at your family and say, oh, we're just so far gone that there's nothing that can be done now. Or maybe you say, we, we just can't make these changes or you say, I'm too young to make a difference. Or I'm too old to start now. Or I don't have the gift of teaching. There's nothing that I could do that could really impact the life of a child. 
When you have a negative attitude, it's really difficult to get focused on those diamond opportunities because all you see is obstacles in the way. So Paul helps us with this in these last two verses, verse 19 and 20. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. And always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, give thanks to God the Father for everything. So when you give thanks in all circumstances, here's what takes place. It, it actually enables you to focus on what God is doing. It helps you pay attention to the way that God is working in your life. So by giving thanks in all circumstances, you'll see the opportunities instead of those obstacles. Now, earlier on, remember I used the word opportunity, and I said that it is translated as time in the King James Version. And the Greek word for that is kairos, and that refers to an appointed, specific, fixed time. And here's what it literally means, the right move at the right time. So that's how you have these diamond opportunities. You're filled with the Spirit. You see life through God's word. You're always giving thanks. And then God allows you to make the right move at the right time. So it's David when he's standing before Goliath. It is the prophet Elijah when he's standing there on Mount Carmel. It's Daniel when he's about to bow down in prayer before that open window where everybody will see him. It's Esther speaking up before the king and risking losing her life. It's Zacchaeus coming down from that tree. It's Peter just kind of throwing his nets behind him and going and following Jesus. And it's Jesus saying, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Let's imagine that your life has ended and instead of going directly to paradise, you find yourself in this giant movie theater and you're the only person there. But you think, okay, I'm going to go in and take a seat and see what movie God has to show me. So you go in and you sit down and then all, the movie begins and the title is the life you could have lived. And as the scenes begin to unfold, you recognize them initially because they've happened to you, but they've taken a different direction than what happened in reality. The first scene comes on, and you remember it because you're sitting at the dinner table with your spouse, and you have the laptop open in front of you, and you're going through all these different travel sites trying to pick the right cruise for you. And you remember this scene and, and you chose a Caribbean cruise. But in this movie, things go a little differently. You close your laptop and you take out your phone and you call the mission director of your church and say, hey, my husband and I, we're, we're thinking about going on a mission trip with our vacation this year. Could you help set us up with that? And then you watch as you're part of this team that shares the good news of Jesus with this people group that has never heard of Jesus before. And, and that people group is completely transformed. In the next scene, you're lying in bed with your wife, and the two of you are watching the news. You always watch the news and then some late-night show and then fall asleep. 
But this time, things go a little differently. You turn off the TV as the news is coming on, and the two of you get down on your knees beside that bed, and you hold hands, and you pray. And as a result of that, your marriage becomes richer and deeper than you ever imagined possible. In the next scene, you see yourself on the job, and you're in your office, and a person comes to your office, and you recognize that person because it's that individual, we know them, they're so high maintenance, and you don't even know this person's name, but you had to clearly tell them, I don't want you coming and talking to me with all your problems. But in this movie, things go differently. You sit down, and you really listen to that person, and then you actually say, can I pray for you? And while you're praying for them, the scene changes, and you see this person sitting in the baptistry here in church, and then it's you standing behind them about to baptize them. I know it's not going to happen that way when our lives end, and I don't want to paint that picture because I want to create feelings of regret or, or maybe guilt in you. But I want more than anything else for you to understand the sense of urgency that we need to have in our lives. We don't need to let those moments pass by because every day, if we are focused, we will make the most of every opportunity. So I'm wondering if for some of you this morning is a diamond opportunity. Maybe life has been out of focus for you. And each week we offer a moment where you can make the most of that time. Maybe you need to let go of the past, but be careful. Make the most of every opportunity. Or maybe you need to talk to someone about what a relationship with Jesus is and you want to understand that. You can talk to me. You can talk to any of the other people in the leadership here at the church. But do that because we want you to make the most of every opportunity.